Welcome back, everybody, to Below the Line. This is episode four, part two. We wrapped up our horror and Halloween conversation last time, and we're doing our subject of editing now with American editor Paul Hirsch. On the subject of editing, we couldn't resist editing this episode into two ourselves, so we thank you for sticking with us. Enjoy. Great, great segue today to talk about the actual subject of the Below the Line episode four, which is Paul Hirsch, American film editor, still alive, actually. Joke's on you, you thought we would only do artists that were dead already. Paul Hirsch is very much alive. Uh, unlike Wendy Carlos, who we don't, we're not sure how alive she is. Her heart's still beating, but we, <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't accept mail. She doesn't answer our phone calls. We really have no idea how alive she is. But Paul Hirsch- Hate to say it, but as well. far as we're concerned. <laughs> Same with- As far as we're concerned, things haven't gone too well with Wendy Carlos. Anyway, <laughs> Paul Hirsch, we, we talk a lot about, you know, the theme of this podcast of, of people who, are underappreciated, and then sometimes people who are maligned, and they're actually, they don't get credit where it's due. They, um, they're slighted, maybe because of their position, or their sexuality, or the color of their skin, or their gender, their, um, their work is appropriated and taken from them. This hasn't happened to Paul Hirsch. Paul Hirsch is, you know, sort of a run-of-the-mill industry editor, not too, met, too much controversy surrounding his role in films, and he's actually had an extremely fortunate career. We'll read off some of his films in a second, but he's been able to link with a lot of popular directors during their heydays. So he's been able to take advantage of that. So it's not as much about this particular artist or craftsman being, you know, thrown to this, you know, thrown to the sea and not being given credit for their, for their work, but rather just an, a, you know, a general, a general love letter to editors and film editing and what they do. And there's no better way to talk about film editing than to talk about uh, a partnership with uh, Brian De Palma who, yes, made Carrie, and also made, uh, you know, from the 70s on, sister, I mean, oh man, Sisters, Phantom of the Paradise, Carrie, Blowout, which has some of the greatest film editing truly ever, I believe, um, Body Double, and then making his way, you know, to make a gangster film, The Untouchables later, uh, even later, The Mission Impossible, uh, and some more recent work. And as much as we talk about Brian De Palma and, and Paul Hirsch, it really is, they're almost inextricable from one another because so much of Paul, Brian De Palma's fame in the 70s and 80s when he was coming out of that you know new hollywood the you know the movie brats with scorsese and spielberg and coppola we've gone full circle with the coppolas today you mean so really, coppola's dad yeah yeah the dad of sophie i don't know really what he did but he is her dad so good for him for that for him um, maybe he's rich or something i don't know yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe she's he like- He owns a vineyard him. or something, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe she's given him advice on how to make movies and, and that's why he was able to make Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, good advice though, I, good advice. It's, it was clear, it was, it was good advice, but Paul Hirsch and Brian De Palma have a relationship that starts with High Mom, which is a 1970 film starring Robert De Niro, which was sort of everyone in that film's start. It's really weird, it's De Niro's first, De Palma's first, Hirsch's first as an editor. And they sort of rode that wave together as a lot of people in the 70s and 80s did. In fact, when we were talking about editing, one of the women we were discussing about doing was Thelma Schoonmaker, who has been partnered with Scorsese since he started. So a lot of relationships and long time relationships were forged during that time. Paul Hirsch, let's talk about other films that he, not only did he you know, go around with Brian De Palma and help him, he was the editor of John Hughes's films in the mid 80s. Uh, some of the most popular Ferris Bueller's uh, plane, trains, and automobiles. He eventually got to work on Mission Impossible and subsequent Mission Impossible 4 with Brad Bird, which is the greatest film ever made, and we will talk about it copiously. And then he did a couple of films in the late 70s, early 80s. Like It was like, it was 
Star Wars, which he won in super not, it, like super he, underground. He, he yeah. won. He he won an, a, an award academy for it. Uh, no, sorry, an Academy Award, an Oscar. Oh, so. yeah. So he actually not only is this man not maligned in his career, he's actually an award-winning, Oscar-winning editor. He's pretty much on the top of his field. But again, this is our episode as a love notes and a love letter to the arts of film craft and editing. I want to talk to Ben K and Seth um, about some stories of Paul Hirsch and also what his films meant to you. First of all, what was some of the research we did? Um, what were some of the films we watched in preparation for this? Before I say which ones I watched, um, I do want to say, I'm going to be honest. Yes. I did not completely listen to the first half of your explanation because I was just thinking of how Suspiria is just pure fear on screen. <laughs> just thinking, yeah. still thinking. I was left behind. Damn it. It's okay. Behind. You'll catch up. We have a lot of no, time with I, Paul today. I, I, but I think I, I know I like, all of that. I like, I like Nolan's description. It was good. You're good. <laughs> um, okay, um, Seth, I forgive you because I too love Suspiria beyond life, beyond <laughs> like lo- what I thought love could be. Okay, so I I I watched for in preparation for this because he has a ton of movies. I watched Carrie with Benke here, uh, mm-hmm. Mission Impossible Four. Uh, yes, greatest movie ever made. Greatest movie ever made. And I watched. Ever made. Blowout, which I'm also like very interested to get into because I feel like Benke and I are not as in love with it as you are, Nolan. But we'll see. Maybe we'll have a fight, huh? And then before coming, I was like, maybe I should watch like a clip, rewatch a clip of Ferris Bueller because I've seen that. And I was like, damn it. Why did I not rewatch this movie? I, I honestly, <laughs> I probably think from the movies I watched, Paul Hirsch's crowning achievement has to be Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm just gonna I, say. <laughs> um, I have to agree with you. So I, I was, when I was looking at the list of movies that he's made, I, I like Ferris Bueller really stuck out to me as being like, wow, that's, that's like a very like editor's movie. Not that it feels like necessarily like his movie, but it's like, it feels like a lot of the jokes and just like the memorable stuff from that movie just comes in from the edits, just like the edits of him talking to us and just all that stuff. Um, I watched Carrie again. <laughs> yeah, I man, watched, the edits. <laughs> I watched, <laughs> I watched Carrie with Seb. I watched Blowout a few weeks ago, but I remember it pretty well. Um, I watched Star Wars kind of recently. I've watched, Oh, same. um, I watched, uh, uh, Mission Impossible just today actually which will also the first one yes the first one and I also watched Ghost Protocol about a month and a half ago again greatest movie ever made not for research but just you know for religious religious inspiration religious religious reasons (laughs) um feels like I have to do that every six months six weeks six months it's ridiculous um yeah uh Paul Hirsch does Paul Hirsch have a court movie Paul Hirsch. Oh wow, does he? That would complete. That would complete everything. That would. That would be beyond. Damn. So what do you while watch? What subject, did you watch, Nolan? While we're on did the you subject, watch- courtroom drama, people versus Larry Flint. Courtroom drama, courtroom comedy, the people versus Larry Flint with Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Best Paul Hirsch movie. Best Paul Hirsch. Yeah. Uh, 
just the know, first. Just... I watched the first scene from Ferris Bueller. Rewatched it. I mean, I watched the whole movie, and I agree mm. with Benke. But just that first scene reminded me of like, damn, this movie. Like Benke said, the fucking edits, man. The edits. <laughs> it's the edits. Just, it has. Wait. It, it has such a good rhythm, you know. Such a beautiful, not beautiful exactly, but such a <clears throat> rhythm. Such a nice rhythm. It's like. It's like a song in one movie and it's funny and a lot of like, it has like such a comedic sass to it that come from the edits and like some of the jokes even are built. You Seb. Him like, wait. Seb, you froze. Oh, shit. Did I... For See, a second. Belts? Was the word? Back? You said built what? something. You cut built. out a built. By the way, before you come back, I just have to say, because Mike and I were talking about this I am back. over the phone, <laughs> but I have to just say, he edited Ray. Parsh edited Ray. <laughs> We've come full circle, bro. Oh my God. Is that a Kruger movie? Is that a Kruger movie? <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's a movie about Ray Charles. <laughs> All right. You have to go back to what you were saying, Seb. You're saying it built. What? Uh, okay, uh, I don't know what I was saying, but just the, the, the opening shot is just a joke in itself. It cuts, like, from, like, I don't know if it's a joke in itself, but it's so nice. It, like, starts, I don't know if you remember, it starts with, like, the, like, the shot of the house, and then mm-hmm. it cuts, like, it's, like, the audio of, like, oh, look at him, he looks so bad from the mom, and it cuts directly to a close-up of Ferris Bueller's Ferris, face. And he's and just fucking such, normal. Like, <laughs> and it's yeah and it's so it's so funny like everything about it and just after that the rhythm the use it's just it's just jumping you know you get reactions from characters that are also made as jokes because of the rhythm the editing has you know it's really yeah. good and then he's like for sure it's and like when he's talking about the day and it, it just cuts from like cloud to cloud to cloud to cloud it's like it's a fucking fun movie a fun movie right. because of the fucking edits man that's it. the edits the edits the in edits, this movie, man. I really felt like it wasn't one shot. At one point, I was, was... like, these are different shots. 1917 <laughs> no has way. the worst editing. 1917 have the worst editing or the best editing? For making it seem like one shot. Does it have the best editing? <laughs> I hate that. This is a question. Uh, Let's talk I'm about... just going to say, I, I hate... I hate... That people wait. Am I cut? Sorry, no, I good. hate that you're people good. think 1917 is so inventive um, because it has one one shot. It's shot like in just one shot. Everyone's forgetting that Birdman was the first one to do it. Oh my well, god! Technically, technically, Seb, if you want to get technical, it was Russian Ark in 2002. No, it a was film, Birdman, film, Nolan. It was that- Birdman. It was Iñárritu. Okay, the Oscars said this. it. The, this, this, the, won't be in the, the this 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 might not be in the podcast. That I just need to say it. Russian Ark. Have you guys seen that movie or heard about no, it? No, it is. Uh, it's on, I've heard. Okay, about you got you got you got to put it on the letterbox watch list. It's not. Like I own a it. One take. <laughs> it's not like it's not like a one take movie. It's actually a one take movie. It's a ninety four minute movie going through like the history oh, really? of Russia through a museum, and it's it's ninety four minutes. And they like messed up the first two takes. I think they got it on the third take. 
an hour 30 long movie with choreography that they rehearsed for months. They got it on the Wait, third that's day. That's so interesting. It's Wait, actually that is, one yeah, day. Wow. I can't, Russian art. Cool. I, I can't. Um, but Birdman also. Damn it. Fucking, I love Birdman so much. I mean, I know, I know I Birdman. Birdman. Just for the record, I know Birdman's not the first one. <laughs> yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> okay. Let's, 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 get off of, let's get off of 1917. Let's talk about a, a topic of interest that I'm just funny. has to do with Paul Hirsch because the editing is actually implicit in this conversation, which is um, some of the, the female gaze in De Palma's films, which Benke, I, I know Benke and, and maybe Seb and I especially they definitely have qualms over in certain ways and we were talking again early in this Did episode about things you have male? to sort of overlook the lack of female gaze the male gaze the female gaze or, or lack thereof or the unexpected virtue of ignorance but yeah the male gaze <laughs> in the Palma films and I want to talk about Carrie nah, there's a very passionate there's a very passionate wave in, in our time with the Palma and Hirsch where we have to talk about the male gaze and carry. Um, not to bring right. it Just full circle. Just as a disclaimer. Oops, sorry, you go first. Uh-huh, go first. <laughs> um, okay, not, well. <laughs> not to come full circle from Sofia Coppola, but Brian De Palma needs to take some notes from Lost in Translation, all right? Like, okay. <laughs> I watched Carrie, and well, we watched Carrie, and wait, you know, wait, before you go in, like just as a disclaimer, we are not women. Like I don't know if you've noticed, uh huh. <laughs> so maybe like we don't have like the biggest say on this. Of course, we'll give our humble discussion because it it is not like we don't want to ignore it. We want to like recognize it. But we'll try to go, like, we'll do it all. Try to be, like, with our humble men seats over, over here at, at Suck Town. Yes. That's it. You go. No. Perfect, <laughs> perfect, um, perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, I... We did want to talk about it. Just, we, we, had a, we had a guest. Fucking, yeah, but she couldn't make it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's the thing. I... Just the opening of Carrie. I'm not really spoiling anything here. It's a really, really great movie. I think it's my favorite Brian De Palma movie. I don't love all this work. Um, but this this first scene he has is, it's, it's about a high school girl. And this first scene he has is a bunch of high school girls naked in the locker room and showering. And it's so it's like slow motion. The, it's like five minutes of this and just their bodies, just the camera on their bodies the entire time. And, you know, I'm sure none of the actor, actresses were uh, like high school age, but they're still high school girls. And it's just in the way it's shot. It's just so like, it's just, we're supposed to focus on nothing but their bodies. It, it feels just so, it just feels like there's nothing else to focus on here. And I found it, I didn't, it didn't, when it, when it was happening in the movie, it didn't feel like it was something, although I haven't read it, it didn't feel like something that came from the book, you know? It's like a choice on the filmmaker's part to have nothing to, to like show what to show in the frame, obviously. And in, in these like first five minutes, it's just nothing but that. 
but just like these high school girls bodies showering and I I couldn't believe how I couldn't believe it when it first happened but I also just can't believe how long it goes on for and it feels strangely tone deaf for a movie that's about um about like I'd say say like (laughs) about like the miseducation like of like sex basically and how there's like no there's like I feel like that's like a part of it just like how how like Americans treat sex in this in this horrible way and how there's just no no real knowledge of it and that's part I feel like that's that's like a that's part of the plot line here and it just feels really tone deaf when it just shows women in the, in this way when it, I feel like the themes of the book and even the movie can be analyzed as such that it's trying to be a little more progressive than than what it's doing <laughs> well and that is, that's certainly a conversation between oh shall i go yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you thank you um uh, sorry i am <laughs> my fucking internet right you're now good, you're good. oh you're good. god am i good am i lagging am i well We'll, we'll tell you, you're, you're lagging a little bit, but we'll tell you when you completely frozen, like right now at this moment. And then... <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, okay, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're here. No, he's not Seb, frozen again. Seb, do you have some... Um... Oh, God. Seb, do you no, have... No, you can like... go first, as this... Okay, sure. Well, I was just going to say that's a, a conversation, probably the first conversation or primary conversation that a director and an editor have together, which is the conveying of information. What do we convey in the, the, what's the information conveyed in the opening of Carrie? Well, she's in a high school locker room with a lot of other girls um, who all have their sort of social circles together. She's not included in that. And they make a point to have this group of women together and then Carrie's off to the side showering alone. Um, so how do we convey that information with cutting? Do we cut the group of girls and intercut that with Carrie showering? And there is this way of, like you're saying, it's a classic opening scene, but it does linger, especially the more you watch it now, uh, further away from you know, when it first came out, it, it just becomes more and more, like you say, toned down because it's a slow motion sequence. You have a beautiful haunting Pino Dinaggio score, which is absolutely sublime, but it's over this really, unnervingly long and not unnerving maybe in the way the filmmakers intended of of these naked women that are again we know they're not high school age but they're certainly portraying high school age characters um before we get to carry and so when you're talking to an editor uh as a director or vice versa when you're paul hirsch talking to brian de palma that conversation of how are we showing how are we showing expository information is going to be brought up in terms of the cutting of the movie um so again just maybe maybe a misstep for a modern viewer of Carrie in, in terms of that scene. Um, but again, it's a very, you know, it's a deft, it's a very deft, skillful film. Um, so it's just, it feels even more odd in that respect that there's something so kind of, not cataclysmic, but it, it, it is absolutely sticks out like a sore thumb in comparison to the rest of the movie, which has a mm. lot to say and a lot to offer, uh, both in terms of technical and narrative uh, spec- specifications. 
Sev, you're back. I'm back. Hi. Um, yeah, I heard some of what you said, <laughs> and I agree with what I heard. Um, I also want to add that I think like taking the sexual aspect outside, I think it's an actually like a really great scene, and it speaks a lot to uh, Paul Hirsch's uh, command of tone um, in at in through the editing that I think Carrie does a lot. That it like because it's the whole movie's kind of pivoting between. Um, <clears throat> kind of like high school romance cheesiness in like this ethereal, um, slow uh, l tone to it that is also like coupled mm -hmm. with the cinematography that's really bright. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, and then like the horror aspect to it. And this scene sets up that like relationship really well by going into like the shower and like just the two it's like a shower that's too peaceful, you know? It's like too good to be even real, you know? <laughs> it's shot as it was like from the waters of the most holy place on earth, you know? And then it goes into uh, uh, her getting her period for the first time and turning into a total nightmare. Um, and it's one of the most uncomfortable scenes, not only because like in a good way after like the way that's like, the bullying in that scene it's like damn this is fucking scary and i read i read some um like articles and stuff about uh carrie's male gaze and i read this one by lee butler who said wait what did i say <laughs> what did she say oh yes it's interesting about what like benki was saying because she says that she read the book and loved it. And she thought that Stephen King recognized like this um, aspect that you were talking about of like miseducation of sex and just treatment of all of that. And just the treatment of many aspects like um, putting women against each other. So the friend that's trying to help her, no one even believes that she's helping her because everyone's like putting them like against each other in this way and then it's also like the recognition of like the toxicity of the american high school and stuff like that and you know like the the fact that everyone can be supposed like this was what she said that every american can point out to who was a carrie fit carrie white and carrie fisher <laughs> who was a carrie fisher in their high schools um <laughs> who was a carrie white in their high schools and stuff like that without indulging in it but that the movie kind of like indulges in this aspect and this demonization of menstruation and the female like <laughs> uh, sexual sexualization. And I read another one by, oh, sorry. I want to say the name just because Sarah Duong that looks at like misogyny and just horror movies in general, but including Carrie. And she talks about, that her interpretation is not 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 exactly like Benke was saying about like this being like oh this is how we treat sexual things but actually more of like a misogynist take in which it's like it's demonizing the puberty and like growth of the woman and the sexualization of women by using the period and menstruation as a narrative point <laughs> in which she like you know um 
So it's also interesting to even discuss what the whole film, like not just one scene, can possibly be saying, you know, which is also like debatable. Of course, it's not like um, this this film is canceled to a point that it does not have any uh, supporters and a lot of, I guess, like both men and women still look at this film very fondly, even without like with this. um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, it's an interesting topic. Um, I agree with everything you just said, but um, like, yeah, uh, I think it's like um, maybe a slight misstep on Paul Hirsch's part, but I think to like talk about the this his like crown the crowning jewel of this movie the the prom scene in in which she's. I mean, again, like this, this movie feels like it's such, it's like a part of our, our culture that I don't feel like I'm really spoiling much here, but there's, there's, there's a huge scene toward the end where, you know, she's, she gets taken to the prom and she gets, she, she gets awarded this prom queen, gets put on stage and spoilers, a big bucket of, of blood pours on her and she kind of unleashes her wrath on everybody in the room. And it's just like, I don't know how to, it feels like I was like witnessing editing history or something like that while watching this. And it was like, just everything, everything it was doing felt so inventive. Like it was just cutting between her and like all these like, all these like, these dramatic things she was doing and like, there's so many ways, it just feels like one of these scenes that there were so many ways you could have done it wrong just by building the space in a really awkward way or just in the way that it, you could have made it seem really silly even just just by fucking up the editing. But it's edited so, so well and mixed in with this like re- really intense sound, this really intense sound editing just feels like I don't know. I was, I, it, it was incredibly intense and every part of it just feels like he was, he was like breaking new ground with it. I agree. It really uh, is. I think it's a hard movie in a, like in terms of how simple the plot is because the whole plot kind of like pivots around this one scene. <laughs> so if this one scene does not work, <laughs> your movie basically goes to shit and like everything is like either anticipation for that scene or um post like the 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 remain the the you know um which also makes for a hard movie in general because it's it's even too simple a plot for it to be a whole movie um so like the fact that it was it, it's like well carried out <laughs> like throughout is very good and I'll, i just want to point out just how the slow motion in that scene works so well <laughs> and I know a lot of people are like tired of the Brian De Palma slow mo, <laughs> but it's like one of those scenes where it just works so so well for the anticipation of the moment where the pig's blood comes coming down, and then this like the time it takes for Carrie to like build her rage and realize what's happening as well is so important and poignant. Very well done. Congrats. We approve Paul Hirsch. Good, good movie. Good job, Paul Hirsch. 
I want to say something that, that you both touched on, which is the sound editing. And we'll talk a little bit more about sound editing when, mm -hmm. we, hit the, when we hit Blowout, which is our next film that we're just going to discuss. But there is a great moment. There's that great poignant scene of dramatic irony where we are following the characters who want this revenge on Carrie. So we know the entire sequence is going to lead to this moment and she doesn't. And so there's this terrifying cross-cutting, like Ben Carrie was talking about, between the preparation for the pig blood and the pig blood being doused on Carrie in this moment. But there's also just such a shrieking, again, Pino Donaccio score. Um, and then combine that with the moment that Seb was talking about, about that rage building up. Once the blood has actually, you know, gone down her entire body and you hear her mom's echoing phrase of they're all going to laugh at you and you have these people laughing in the crowd. And it's one of those great examples of when you're watching a horror movie, you know, close your ears, not your eyes. Because what you hear sometimes is the scariest of them all. And that sound editing in, in that sequence alone nails it. It absolutely puts it over the top in terms of one of the greater horror moments, uh, defining horror moments. And you guys are right. That movie doesn't work without that scene. If that scene doesn't deliver, Carrie seems, you know, we seem, it, it, we wouldn't be defending Carrie maybe without that scene. Mm. It makes her instantly, you know, we're culpable with Carrie as soon as that scene goes down because we just feel that loneliness and that alienation and that betrayal and that rejection. And that comes through in the editing and the sound design. We approve of you, Paul Hirsch. Good movie. <laughs> Good movie. You know, you know what I've also noticed? This isn't much about Carrie as it is about Paul Hirsch in general. And I don't know how often this happens with editors because I'm not an editing expert either. Um, but just, I feel like he has a lot of range in, did I, did I hey, Say range again, say start from range. Oh, range, so start from, he has a lot of range. Oh yeah, so he, I feel like he has a lot of range, not only in like the genres of his movies, but even the style of his editing. Because you have some films like Carrie, which are heavily, heavily stylized editing. You know, you have that beautiful, incredible car scene where it's like this insane close up to her eyes. And then the, you know, it's like, what? This is like editing that's calling attention to itself. Or even just um, a lot of like things De Palma is, um, I think, um, known for, for like the split screen and things like that are like very <laughs> formalistic, may I say. <laughs> um, and it is, and then you have something like Mission Impossible, which is like completely not stylized. It's editing that's made for you to follow the logic of the scene and to be invisible. And it's very, very well done. <laughs> and it's not, it's like editing that is like main focus is not to call attention to itself and he handles both the action heavy editing and the horror stylized editing very well and things in between mm -hmm. what do you think i, I totally I, I totally agree with that i was gonna <laughs> say that as well um i think like you're right like there's a difference between that editing where it's like editing for editing's sake. And I feel like that's something in a lot of Brian De Palma movies. Um, my, my dad says like Brian De Palma movies are such good movies for like people who love movies because they just kind of call attention to all these like technical aspects that you can, of, of like that build up, that make up a movie that you can be like, oh my God, he did a thing. He did a crazy thing there. And it's a lot of fun to like kind of notice that. Like, again, like what you were saying, like what, what do you call it? Like a, the, split, the split diopter, is that what you call it? 
and yes. like stuff like that, or just like this. Oh my God! You know, film vocabulary here. Something wow. as something as basic as like just having Carrie hear her mom's voice, like in that one scene when she's like her mom's obviously not there. She's recalling a memory. Like that's just like that kind of stuff shows up in Brian De Palma's movies where it's like calling attention to itself. Like, look, I'm a movie. I'm a movie. And that in that sense, I think a lot of his movies are a lot of fun in, in that way. And Paul Hirsch is perfectly edits to that to that concept, you know? And but, you know, you look at something like Star Wars, which, you know, I'm not obviously obviously it's a well-edited movie. <laughs> they won an Oscar for it, but it's not a movie that you're just gonna be like that editing was amazing, you know? And the thing about editing is like, it can either be really showy, but it's also, it's like at the end of the day, its main purpose is to just kind of like give you the information about a scene and make everything clear in terms of action and just like where everything is placed. You know, that's just like the point of editing to just piece together these, these random bits of scenes into like, and make it into a whole, into a movie basically and if you can't if you can't do that at the bare minimum that's like you it's that that's where like bad editing comes into play but even stuff like you know, it's a genuinely everything's everything's so clear about it ge- geographically you know speaking and like i said like it's not like the movie that you think of to be like really really well edited but just in how it's a movie that's really easy to watch like Star Wars is you have to give a lot of credit to the editor because a lot of it it is it is it is up to them just to have that like just that like flowing nature of a movie like that you know what's also crazy i i think about how crazy how hard it must have been to edit that last um death star sequence mm-hmm. in star wars because <laughs> you have like kind of like a very like hard approach and like it's it's like a hard thing to solve i think because you have a lot of ships that look exactly the same <laughs> or look pretty much the same you have a like a space you know the, the death star itself is not something you might recognize as like oh, this is a different point in this Death Star <laughs> than this because it all looks metally white, mm-hmm. same, you know? And sometimes even as it is, it's, like, hard to, like, follow, like, how many ships are left? Like, why are they all, like, <laughs> they're killing off everyone. Like, did they just kill? Look! And, you know, like, it's, like, and it's, again, like, that's, in a way, a good thing because it, like, makes you understand the stakes and kind of fools you sometimes. It kind of, like, it plays with you and you start to get the gist of what they're trying to do and it's very well it's a it's an editing that allows you to follow the action and have that payoff when they actually achieve it um because it does build the just it establishes how hard it is (laughs) in the whole sequence you know and it's uh, yeah i don't know it's not very <laughs> yeah sorry no you can go right after i say this thing but i just want to say like the no the, he doesn't need to <laughs> the and like in in the middle of all this like you know versus like you know this showy editing versus like just just clear like what like just like editing that you kind of need in an action scene to make everything clear there's like a whole nother spectrum of like comedic editing and i feel like that's another thing he's like completely mastered in 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like we were talking about earlier. It's like, it's showy in not a Brian De Palma kind of way, but- Sure, and even, and you can't forget the Mission Impossible, the original at least, when there's the drop of sweat that Tom Cruise catches on his Oh hand. yeah, like even that is like, that's, that's like comedic, he puts his like comedic stuff all over and like that, He's being able to like use editing in that way is also he's also just the absolute best at it, like we said. A lot I think of this conversation fun. about <laughs> go. I was gonna say I, I, I think this conversation about self-referential editing and flashy editing and editing that wants to be seen versus ed- editing that's or versus editing that's invisible is actually a pretty good segue into our next film to talk about, which is the next Obama first venture, which is Blowout from 1981, which is a movie about editing. It's a sound editor played by John Travolta. It's a movie using about below the line. A below it's a the movie. Line now that's a below the line movie. That is I suddenly line. suddenly it's my favorite movie. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. He is a sound he's a sound editor for, for B horror movies. He's a sound recordist and he's out recording sounds, uh, just nature tones for a film, and he records this political assassination. Or, or what we end up finding out is a political assassination. And he syncs it with a photographer's pictures of that same instance. And together they work on editing this see, this project and trying to uncover this investigation. And there's a killer on the loose and there's a girl, there's a romantic interest. And so it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty great movie. We're, we'll talk about our opinions on whether we like Blowout as much as Nolan. You know, those don't matter as much to me about <laughs> the actual. The, that that doesn't matter as much to me about because I see you know I see the flaws, whatever. I, I love it, but I, I I think it's more interesting to talk about the implications of a movie about editing and what the editor's role is in a movie about editing. Like, is Paul Hirsch? Do you think that he's making this movie and he's like, yes, finally a film about the art struggle in the editing day? <laughs> Or do you think it's the opposite? Do you think that he's like, maybe I'm uncomfortable with editing an entire movie? Because let's talk about Paul Hurst. He's kind of a nice guy. He's a really humble, laid back guy. There's this article we found where someone reveals to him that he's the only person to win the Saturn Award for editing twice for Star Wars. And I think it was the first Mission Impossible. And he goes, oh, I I didn't know that. But that's just the kind (laughs) of guy he is. He's a very down to earth, nice, humble guy. Do you think that this is a movie where he was prepped for it and ready? Or do you think he was nervous to make a movie that's a commentary about a lot of things, but including his own career? You know, he, we, he like said a thing. I read somewhere uh, that he said a thing like, you know, people always, it's like the editor will always be like, yeah, well, it's technically my movie. I'm doing all the work here. You know, it's like the director is just like, it's just like for show. I'm just, I'm, I'm like, it's just a name. Like I'm the one doing all the work here, putting, make, I'm practically making your movie. And like, in essence, there's a, like a lot of truth to that. Like there's like, there's, there's like the, there's like the, the saying, like we're fixing the editing room. Like, it's just like, there's, there's so much that's there, you know? And it's can, the movie can change just from the editing. That's nothing, that's nothing new I'm saying. But um, he said like, he uh, he he was like not like that at all, and was like, yeah, like I like to have a nice collaborative um, project with all the directors I work with. You know, like I love working with directors, and I love like hearing their ideas to figure out what I'm gonna do with my movie. Which I was like, you know, Hollywood baby, like it is. It's rare to find somebody that 
humbling and it's like you it's like the same attitude right. toward this like award thing you know it's just like oh oh yeah like again i heard him talking about his like oscar for the winning an oscar for star wars and he was just like i was really so lucky to get that like i couldn't believe it i still can't believe i got that like it was just it was it was it was like i i was finished at the age of 35 i was so happy and he's just it, it was so genuine but yeah anyway continue how many people who worked um, on Star Wars are honestly humble? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think most of them are like, yeah, true. we know. Like, we know. We did it. We happened. did it. Do you, do you many, think that the costume designer many... of Star Wars goes into a Jamba Juice and is just like, yep, it's me. It's me. <laughs> you all know who I am. John Barry. Next episode on John Below the Line. Hey, John Barry. Yep, there I am. John Barry. <laughs> Next episode on oh. Below the Line. <laughs> you know, um, just, oh, yeah, oh, just filmmaker, fil- a white man working on the film industry. How many do you think are humble? <laughs> Just mm-hmm. you know, that's a below the line special on it, on its own. That is, yeah. and honestly, um, we've been tinkering about doing that special for a long time now, and now is the time that we finally announce it's going to be Ben K's birthday. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Evan and I have had our birthdays recently. Ben K's birthday will be finally our white man special on Below the Line. <laughs> um, the white, the, the you know, white man special. Wait, you know what I just remembered? You're not, I mean, of course you're not alone in the praise of Blowout, but you know who else loves that movie? Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. It's, it's one of his, his top, top 10. 10 I, think. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I didn't know that. I I would check your research on that. I'm not sure about I I um um <laughs> So Nolan, here's what here's what I'm here's what I'm suspecting you did. <laughs> you saw his top ten list and you I'm said I'm gone. I'm I'm cleaning out the garage right now in my apartment that doesn't have a garage. <laughs> you you watched his top ten, all of his top ten. And said, you know what? Let me just copy every single one of these movies is now my favorite movie because Quentin Tarantino said it was good, right? That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Quentin Tarantino knows more. <laughs> um, you know, I no, Sam, go. I go. Oh my god! I read. I read an interview about because um, uh, you asked. No, I mean, I'm phrasing this wrong. You asked, you're answering your question, your previous question. I read an interview where he was like talking about how it was like an unreal experience to edit a movie about someone editing. But I think, I feel like he liked <laughs> the, 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 the experience because he said something that it was, they didn't know that it was going to be kind of like a like a time capsule for the editing that was used in that time because it's now editing equipment that is no longer used and now it's like frozen kind of forever in the blowout movie it's like an homage to it not only to editing itself but just to editing with that equipment and because there's a lot funny thing because there's a lot of John Travolta editing and going back and forth between the tapes and then Paul Hirsch will be going like back and forth as well because he was editing that. He's like, sometimes I would have to like look over to see what direction I was going to because it would get really confusing. (laughs) Yeah, and I found that funny. That's it. Before anyone says anything else, we are now in two, one. Okay, we are now officially two hours into the, the podcast recording. 
Okay. So we want to. Um, we want to. We want to really quickly wrap up blowout with like if Benke has anything else to say, and then I. I think Mission we can Impossible move on to Mission Four, Impossible. And then yeah. we'll and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. So good. I guess now is the time to talk about the best movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about De Palma? Do you want to talk about De Palma or do you want to talk about Ghost I Protocol? Think, well, I think we should mention De Palma because it's how Paul Hirsch got into Mission Impossible by De Palma directing the first one. And I would love, just love to talk about chiefly just that CIA breach sequence in Langley, yep. Virginia. I mean, that's the editing. That's the editing masterclass you're looking for. In Carrie, it's the Wait. scene where they're intercutting between the pig blood being set up and her on the stage. In Mission Impossible 4, it's the whole movie. The, the whole, whole movie? movie is the best movie ever made. It's just, it belongs in the loo. And, and MI, in the first one, it's is definitely it the, that CIA is, breach. Is, is it the whole movie? Is it though? I, or is it only the part where it t- takes place in Dubai? Hmm? You know, Seth, okay. the, you, there's a All strong right. argument that the best part of the movie is in Dubai, but what about the Kremlin break-in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. MI4? Okay. And what about I the mean, prison in MI4? Everything in MI4. Okay. Just, just to like let, the, the, let, we make a lot of jokes, okay? We do. But this we like to joke around. We between like between Nolan and I, maybe not Seb so much. Maybe not, maybe not, maybe not Seb so much. But between Nolan, Nolan and I, we are serious that we think Ghost Protocol is not only one of our favorite movies, but it's like one of the best movies ever made. It's like one of the and greatest action movies, pretty, pretty inarguably ever made. We really put this out on on our Instagram when we first started by calling ourselves all Tom Cruise apologists. And nowhere will that apology be louder than when we're clamoring for Ghost Protocol to be given a Criterion release. MI4, that's the peak of action (laughs) films. You guys want Mad Max Fury Road? I want more Ethan Hunt. I need need more Ethan Hunt. Listen, um, something about, like, Brad Bird, one of my favorite directors, honestly. Yeah. And... What he what he did for probably one of my favorite like movie series is amazing and like it's what he and it's like this collaboration that he's found with Paul Hirsch because I think Brad Bird is one of the best like comedic directors out there. He's able to make he understands physical comedy on on like a whole nother level and he also and he also employs this editing editing for comedic purposes in all of his movies and you know i know editing an animated movie which is all he had done before ghost protocol it's a little different live action it makes sense that he went after the guy who did ferris bueller it's like feels it's strange to like compare the two but it's like in that same level of like using using editing to like accentuate physicality and not just and it's not to say like the movie is like a funny movie but Mission Impossible as a concept action isn't meant to be meant to take very seriously it's not very violent it's not brutal by any means it's it's like action for fun essentially and I think that's why Brad Bird was like such a good choice for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and to like kind of lead it into this next direction and with Paul Hirsch who's he seems to understand has such a good concept of like comedic editing fits so perfectly with what Brad Bird is trying to do here. So yeah. Exactly. And then you have Michael Michael Giacchino's score and he's a very kind of like, you know, he's got a very pop kind of composer feel to it. 
So the whole movie really is oriented around what I think the last three Mission Impossibles really have nailed, which is forget about you know too much of the espionage or you know the the Eastern Bloc commentary or whatever. We're just we're going to make the most entertaining movie we can make, and we're going to throw every sequence that we've always wanted to do on top of this, under this, inside of this. We're going to do all the stunts and make a movie around it. And and those yeah. you, know, you hear the stories of those movies not being script scripted to the T on final draft like we might expect. It really the magic happens when you have someone like Brad Bird or Brian De Palma or Chris McQuarrie in the editing room with someone like Paul Hirsch, um, who again a nominated and a winner of the Saturn Award. Uh, mm-hmm. multiple nominees, multiple awards, one multiple for, wins, multiple wins for, for Ghost Protocol. Uh, although the, <laughs> the humble Hirsch, of course, doesn't have anything as much to say about that. It's like that just, movie, I didn't even watch it. <laughs> I edited it. It doesn't mean that I actually saw any of it. I didn't think I understood that shit. <laughs> I had to watch um, it out of order sad. the whole time. So what are your thoughts on Mission Impossible? <laughs> I I enjoyed I enjoyed it. Um, good, I judge, thought judge. it was very well good. done. This is like this like, is like when Seb has to meet the judgy parents, and we're the judgy parents, and the bride to be is Mission Impossible. Do you love our daughter? Do you love <laughs> our daughter? Her? Ghost <laughs> Which you one's your her? favorite? I did, tell I us. Did love it. Did. So tell us I about did. your job. So tell us your job about your job at the plant. Give us a Mission Impossible. <laughs> For review, <laughs> first of all, which of the six Mission Possibles have you seen? Four, twice, four twice. You've seen as, four as, twice. as any reasonable person would, at least twice. <laughs> at least twice. Uh-huh. Wait, Seb, you haven't seen the other one. ones? <gasps> no, I haven't. None. Oh my God, Nolan, no we need one. to like, we need to like show him the light. This, this. The sixth I one? I went into Reddit. Reddit says first and second were not worth it. Third, haven't heard anything about it, so I will assume it doesn't exist. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is the villain in the third one, so watch your mouth. Then, yeah, yeah. He's, he's absolutely then, amazing. And then fifth and sixth, I, I mean, they're more, they're not exactly films as they are theme parks, aren't they? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh what? <laughs> if this podcast had if this podcast had a video component, you would have seen the collective jaws of Benke and Nolan drop to the floor. Seb. I haven't seen them. I'm kidding. I will see them though. Now, Seb, now that Seb I've seen this one, is this the best best one? Which one's the best podcast. one? Podcast. Th- the last. The last it's fallout, three are it's fallout. It's fallout. The last three Please. are all absolutely like insane like insane i think the last one is probably the most consistent yeah fallout is probably the most consistently amazing this is not this is not false i this is absolutely true i had i had trouble driving home from the theater after watching fallout because my legs were actually numb that movie made my body fail me it was actually the most it was gone i absolutely (laughs) gone I, there were a couple of times where I almost rear-ended someone because I just couldn't press down on the brake because everything like below my eyes was just paralyzed. The, the, the paralysis from MI Fallout and Ghost Protocol, really. I mean, those are the two for me. Rogue Nation is like, it's more of like a 1A, 1B thing. 1B would be right. Rogue Nation and 1A would be Brad Bird and, and Fallout. That's kind yeah. of how I put it. And then um, There's something to say um, about like, you know, like, uh, sorry, you go, you go. 
I thought, but I always say, you know, Tom, it's like, yeah. Um, I thought you were, I thought you wanted to know what I think about, about Mission Impossible. I did, I did, did. let's hear, let's hear. We do, tell us, tell us how you feel about our daughter, okay. Tom Cruise. Hey, our daughter, Tom Cruise. I think it's one of those movies that as you're watching it, you're undoubtedly watching uh, like finest of the craft, you know, like it's like very well done in every, I don't know if in every way, but in many ways, it's like watching right now. Seth's going to put a butt in that sentence and I'm not ready for it. And I'm not here for it either, honestly. No, Seb, no. Seb, Seb is um, going to try to do that that's, good, that's good cop, bad cop routine like, on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, King, but it is still it. Is King, still great cinematography, but... <laughs> great cinematography. No, but it's like, it's like Mad Max, you know? It's like, um, I'm trying to think Disagree. of other movies that are like Disagree. Silence of the Lambs. Just one of those films. Disagree because I don't, no, I don't no, 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 He means when he says when he's comparing it to Mad Max, he means like it's like top of like craft, not like oh, in okay. execution. Like it's like say, like because Fury Road to me has very little rewatch value, whereas Mission Impossible that's a that's a once a week thing. Really? You think so? I, I feel like it's the other way around, though. I feel like Mad Max has like, but again, I'm probably just being a bitch. Like this has no substantial like. Thing behind it beyond I think you I think you are too Seb's watching Seb's watching Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol he's like but where are the witches where where well, that's where, fair where, that's, you know that's you know the thing is I know but between Mad Max and like the thing is I I am not a big action person fan thing whatever and Fallout had some pretty amazing sequences, but in overall, I didn't Wait, care Fallout? as much about. You... I sorry, the other one, Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol? Oh, yeah, the yeah. one I saw. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like in general, I'm like, I can't. Comp- I'm not in love with it. That's that's it. I'm just not not my movie. Um, don't care so much about the more um, character development they tried to do or did there with like the wife secrets. Um, the whole shtick of like, we need to be together. We're better as a team. Um, not my favorite thing either. Um, but some not pretty like, amazing. Wait, is this some anti-socialist sentiment right now? <laughs> <laughs> I think the movie but is the anti-socialist statement. It's like watching also like no, but it's it, it's like a super fun movie. But at my heart goes with in the action realm. I am still Mad Max film bro bitch um, mm-hmm. because I like I like the. Just the the characters and the colors. <laughs> like tell you, it's just the colors. Like let's just this my I... mind is just like stupid. Like my mind is like there, there's no substantial thing to this. I'm trying to tell you. It's just Mission Impossible yes. Gray, Mad Max, beautiful orange and blue. That is all my mind is it's processing at this moment. Action value, great. In both, incredible, top of the craft, 
like I said. I, Everything comes I... together. It has such a good rhythm. It has. It's wonderful to see. That's it. Nolan, I'm bad I'm acting. <laughs> okay, another story. Whatever. Um, can I talk about Paul Hirsch and Brian De Palma, Mission Impossible? Yes. Can you make it? Can you can you say it in a way that's gonna like kind of close it out nicely for us? Yes, absolutely. Um, have like a nice have like. To, have a I nice have like them say. and then Paul Hirsch and then kind of like from there. Wait, just I need to just last thing because. I don't want to be the bitch. I did enjoy a lot the movie. The thing is, I, the best no, thing okay, to put okay. it is this. We know, we know, we know. No, no, no. no. Okay. Hey, hey, the best thing to put it is this. It has a lot of great shit, but the thing is, I feel like the great shits it has is not the things I, I, I admire about film as a like personal matter, you know? Sure. It's, yeah. They're not the things that turn me on. Let's say that. Seb, you know? Seb would be like... Look, I cheated on you, but it didn't mean anything. <laughs> it was one time. I swear. I love you. Shut up. It was just one time oh in the backseat of a Nissan. <laughs> by the way, the Nissan commercial, where's all the red? Where's all the red? Where's the where red? Where, where are the witches? Where are the witches? Where? Right, okay. Benke, give um, us some closing thoughts. By the way, speaking listen, of closing thoughts, okay. keeping to our courtroom theme, the Lincoln Lawyer with Matthew McConaughey. Damn, that's a good one. That's good. Did yeah, we say To Kill yeah, a Mockingbird? Yeah. Did we say To Kill a Mockingbird? I think we did, but if we didn't, we're saying it now. Closing argument. Not, okay. not bad. Okay. Um, I think between... I watched Mission, the first Mission Impossible and not crazy about it, I have to say. Especially in comparison to the last three Mission Impossible. I think it's a genuinely really confusing movie and way more confusing than its own good. It's like just very, it feels very disjointed. And I don't know if it's because the editing or the writing, but it just feels like something was off there, especially when you compare it to the newer recent Mission Impossible movies. And I think that this might have something to do with the pairing of Paul Hirsch and Brian De Palma was kind of the wrong choice for the first Mission Impossible. To get the spirit of what Mission Impossible truly is supposed to be and what they eventually got is that you needed somebody like Brad Bird who can take it with a little bit more comedic, with its comedic value instead of taking it too seriously with the espionage business and all that. And having Brian De Palma as the director for that and just kind of like leading the just the general vibe of the whole movie was not the right choice in my opinion especially looking back and see looking at the whole series and seeing what it could have been and how it ended up being much better than that first one and yes there's a lot of great paul hirsch stuff in in the in in the um the 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 cia scene where he's like what's the name of that scene what did you call it just the CIA, like the breach or the break in. The, the CIA, right? the CIA break in scene. Like that's like a pure like masterclass in editing right there. Like the stakes are high. Just like, just being able to place you physically like in that scene is, it's so so well done. Easily the best scene in the movie. But the progression of Paul Hirsch, it feels like when he got to go Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, it felt it was like. He was like, I'm comfortable here. I'm able to use, you know, some of these things that I got from 
the Brian De Palma stuff where I'm able to like bring attention to the editing, but also bringing some stuff from my like comedic background and that pairing with Brad Bird was ultimately not only able to, you know, create this vibe for, for Mission Impossible for Ghost Protocol, but kind of set the track for the rest of the series, in my opinion. And I feel like a lot of the way this series is going, going to end up going for like the next two installments at the very least um, is due to Paul Hirsch and his kind of um, embracing of that comedic nature of the action. You know, it's interesting because Paul Hirsch was there both at the birth of the series and at the rebirth of the series with Brad Yeah, Ford. yeah. You know, I haven't watched the first Mission Impossible, but it is weird to me that it's a Brian De Palma movie. Like, I feel like as what I've seen from both directors, Brad Bird and Brian De Palma, Brad Bird is a director that values fun. <laughs> and mm. it's probably like the most fun director out there. It's It's like... I mean, that feels like an, um, like an insult, but it, like, it's not. Like, it's something like, no. that is yeah. deeply like, admired about his films, you know? And I think Mission Impossible works so well in that fun aspect. That's kind of like what you were saying. And Brian De Palma is one of those directors that super serious. Like, I don't think he thinks about being fun. Is he a fun person? even (laughs) (laughs) i mean no like of course his movies are fun but um they're also like very like i feel like brad bird style even is kind of less look i'm in a tour just everything that works works and i will do what works and brian de palma i feel like has this i want to put myself in front of the movie as well like, do it right, of course, but, like, I want them to know it's my film. You know, he has, like, he always puts in those shots, the, mm-hmm. the one, split, uh, diapter, di- di- what? Diopter, I think. Diopter, the slow motion, the, he, he sp- the split screen sometimes, too, right? Like, a lot of the times, yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. Do and, since, we, um, since, we, uh, since we can't show you a split diopter on the podcast, we'll just make the sound that it makes when you charge it up to a camera. <laughs> so now you know the split diopter. <laughs> wow, yeah. wait, Nolan, do you have a split diopter at home? That's so I do, I do. <laughs> Here in here in the lab. Nolan, are you a sound expert like the main character from Blowout? Are you John Travolta? Are you Blowout? Great, great, great tie-in, great callback, Seb. Thus would seem to end our conversation today on Paul Hirsch, ACE himself. Um, Any last words on thoughts, concerns, questions, comments on the state? of the industry or films or Paul Hirsch or editing in general before we wrap it up? Uh, just one thing. Best Paul Hirsch movie. Go. Well, I would have to say Blowout. Of course. Fucking um, predictable. Ferris, I'm kidding. <laughs> Ferris, but Ferris Bueller and Mission Impossible 4 are really running in my mind right now. Right. I think if we're looking at editing like specifically, I think it's going to I think it might go to Ferris Bueller. Like, we didn't even talk about it as much as we did about Carrie and Mission Impossible, but it's really, like, that movie is so iconic and 
still like so funny after so many times watching it. And I think like looking at it, like look, like thinking about it right now, I'm just like, that movie's funny just because of like how, how in this like silly editing, this like silly editing they did with it. Yeah, so I would say Ferris Bueller. Isn't, isn't that, um, isn't that dumb though? Because I also think Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Why don't we talk more about it? It's okay. Um, no, no, I, no, I, no, I, no, I like, I, I did love Carrie and I probably like close, close to, but I'll give it to Ferris Bueller just because it doesn't have male gaze. <laughs> or as big of a male in it um and also this doesn't have to be in the podcast but i want to know um ferris bueller nolan or what do you think of breakfast club do you even like breakfast club no it's okay ferris bueller 100 ferris bueller is the okay. best thing john he's ever made home home alone included okay great glad we're yeah. here and lastly lastly just this is for the poll's sake scariest movie out of the top five the, the 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 below the line horror canon what's the scariest there halloween like i've got shivers just thinking about it like honestly i say the shining because the shining interesting it, because the shining isn't realistic but i i see the shining. It doesn't matter I, I i have some uncles that are not far from jack torrance if they had a winter alone you know hmm. doesn't <laughs> It doesn't matter. It's a little too familiar to you. <laughs> a little too, a little too, close <laughs> a little too, a little too close to home. I um, have to say, Suspiria. Suspiria is the scariest one for me. Sure, sure. Great answers. Three different answers. Three different That's answers, but all good. But all good. Very good. But all good. Um, love, lovely talking to you too, as always. Do we have any idea what we're doing about... for the next episode? I was thinking we do Joe Hisaishi. I was thinking yes. we do Rachel Morrison because I feel like we haven't done any okay. women. Okay, I was thinking we do time. Wendy Carlos again. <laughs> I feel like I, I thought Rachel Morrison done was a, a good because we, we haven't, haven't done, done cinematographers. cinematographer. Yeah, but she yeah. hasn't done yeah. a ton of stuff. But we can still. I do want to watch. Did she do Creed? And then we need to rewatch that. Anyway, anyway, um, we'll keep see. we'll keep you li- we'll keep you listeners on your toes about who the subject of week fives or episode five's podcast is. But for now, oh, okay. this thank has been you, Seb. Thank you for listening. This has been Seb, this has been Ben K, and this has been Nolan. And we're signing off of episode four of Below the Line. Hope you guys enjoyed. Follow us on Instagram at BTLpod. Follow us on Twitter. We don't have a Twitter, but just type in <laughs> BTLpod and see what kind of weird things come up. <laughs> yeah. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye.